The Cosmic Adverse Podcast, written and read by Nick Perry. Book 1, Fireside Flush. Chapter 1, Domain. Kerchunk. The hoe clamored loudly as it sliced through the soil. A plume of dust puffed into the air. The farmer's tool bore a hilt that had rusted to the point of loosening itself, causing a wobble each time its blade met the coarse soil. Faint stains of crimson lace splashed along the sun-bleached wood. Its handle, worn with a billet of splinters, rubbed raw the hands of its conductor, but Sir Seraphin nevertheless continued his toil. Kerchunk. The surrounding dust settled as quickly as it had been stirred. The day's work had been hard, but nearly all of the crop's drills had been dug. Throughout the afternoon, Sir had not felt the gentle breeze that normally accompanied the harsh beating of the overhead sun. The cloudless sky provided no shade, and the likewise missing songbirds eluded the boy. Afarit's infamous humidity hit its peak at this time of day, and like clockwork it rolled in from the surrounding jungle as hot air squeezed Sir's ribcage. The dense, warm air burned in his lungs, but Sir continued sucking in the painful breaths. Kerchunk. The young man's crop field consisted of about three dozen rows that flourished along the dirt road leading to his village of Tutoma. The smell of the new defensive wall, composed of lumber from the surrounding jungle, stood about three times Sir's height. It overpowered the manure that had been invading the boy's senses throughout the morning. In just a few short years, Tuatoma had grown from a small tent settlement to a stable community of adobe homes with thatched roofs. The village elders, after much convincing, had allowed Sir to expand the communal farm up to the outer edge of the village. Many of the village's residents credited Sir's farm for the success of the village. The elders credited them themselves. Sir continued his exercise. Kerchunk. Sir's friends and family had been nomads like the other inhabitants of the keeperdom of Aferit, but once the village had been founded, the need for a stable food supply drastically increased. Sir planted his first row of crops sometime during the boy's twelfth harvest. Five harvests later, he managed a food supply for over a hundred people. Despite his impressive results with the farm, Sir himself looked nothing out of the ordinary. His hair matched the dark chestnut color of his eyes. He wore a healthy tan from his years of tilling crops under the unforgiving sun, and he remained fit throughout the awkward growth spurts that usually accompanied a boy's teenage years. Sir's fellow Tutomans nicknamed him Tomasi, or background, for his unwavering ability to get lost in the noise of the village's daily life. Tomasi also became a name with which to tease him. Tutomans valued characteristics that were easily transferred to displays of power. Strength was the primary attribute for which all of the youth in Tutoma strived. Well, every youth except Sir, it seemed. The young Seraphim boy believed that the strength conveyed by the elders, the strength that the other boys tried to emulate, was little more than stubbornness. In a heated debate, whichever elder broke from his argument in an attempt to compromise was seen as the loser. Sir had watched many meetings between the elders. He despised their childish politics. Unfortunately for the young farmer, Politics became more important as Tuatoma's population grew. Kerchunk. Sir wiped the sweat off his brow with his sleeve and looked up from his work for the first time since lunch. He was greeted by the sight of his friends, Lavu, Viti, and Balu, all smirking back at him. Sir smiled at them with eyes of satisfaction. Their arrival meant that another long day's worth of work lay behind him. Although the late afternoon brought with it exhaustion, 
Sir reveled in the endorphins as he packed his tools from the farm. He had learned to take pride in his day's accomplishments. When he was much younger, Sir would worry constantly about the future. He was so impatient back then that it had been difficult for him to focus for even an hour on any given task. Over time, however, the farm had worked on Sir just as much as he had worked on the farm. A disciplined mind replaced his youthful ignorance. Some of that restless fire still flickered inside Sir, but the farm was winning him over. "'What do you say, Sir?' goaded Lavu, sitting on the fence between the farm and the dirt road. Lavu Farama was shorter than Sir, but enjoyed darker skin, a real asset during the summer months. His father, Lavu Kanulo, led to Toma's intertribal relations in the area. "'I say I am,' Sir replied." The four friends shared a laugh. The response was an in-joke between the inhabitants of Tuatoma. A few harvests ago, a traveling band featuring a couple of minstrels and dancers entertained the village for three nights in the communal hall. One of the songs during the performance told the story of a man who lay stranded in the middle of the ocean, severely dehydrated. A bird stumbled across the man and asked him how he was doing. The man croaked, I say I am. He continued mouthing words, but no sound came out. Thinking that the man was finished, the bird took his response to mean that everything was fine and promptly left the man in the sea. The man had, in fact, silently mouthed out, I say I am dying. Everyone in the audience laughed at the irony of the situation. Sir's reference was timely. Those same minstrels responsible for burning that parable in the boys' minds were back and busily setting up in the main hall for another night's worth of song and dance. Sir's shirt, which had started the day white and tight, hung loose about his frame and with a pale shade of brown from the day's work. His arms and legs had become gelatin, as they were wont to do by this time of day. Sir pulled his shirt up and wiped the sweat and grime from his face. The shirt was soaked through and through, but the boy managed to get some of the dirt off his cheeks. Sir always worked the farm alone, but not by choice. He was constantly offering the chance for others to share in his workload, a few volunteers lasted more than a month or two. The majority of the villagers chopped wood or bamboo for the village's growing number of homes and shops. Some villagers opted to become fishermen, while others, like the elders, decided that they would best benefit their society by setting up rules and laws by which they could govern the others. It was no surprise that the most troublesome group in the village was the trio sitting and standing in front of Sir. He found it ironic that the elders, who spent all of their time creating ways to micromanage the, vi the villagers, could not keep a handle on their own children. Balu, Viti, and Lavu had created more than their fair share of trouble. Luckily, they tended to leave Sir and his farm well enough alone. He and they had hammered out a gentleman's agreement, the kind that only comes as a result of black eyes and bloody noses. Well, what can we help you with today? Viti asked pulling himself upright and away from the fence that stood between a dirt road and the farm. Viddy looked at Sir with cold blue eyes through dirty blonde hair. This troublemaker was the shortest and palest of the bunch, but always seemed to cause the most mayhem. Malu, the tallest and stockiest of the group, continued leaning against the fence, his arms crossed with disinterested anticipation. Lavu snickered as he awaited Viddy's next move. All three of Sir's friends were sons of the elders, and they never let an opportunity to remind themselves, go to waste. The trenches dried up, Sir said, motioning towards the irrigation ditch that had been dug a week prior, and I'm expanding the farm by another couple of rows. It'd be nice to have extra hands. Sir looked at them and widened his smile. The labor involved had been relatively simple. 
if by simple one meant that Sir had to dig the equivalent of a hundred graves between one bend of the river and the other. Phidias strolled toward the edge of crops and crouched down to the ground. Sir, knowing the blue-eyed boy's insatiable penchant for theatrics, copied Bally's posture and leaned against the fence. Fiddy grabbed a nearby stick and ran it through the soil in a circle around him. When the circle had been drawn, he dropped to one knee and outstretched his arms. The rest of the group watched closely as Vitti paraded around the circle. Hurry up already, Balu said, obviously bored with the boy's performance. Vitti turned to the group and flared his nostrils at Balu's remark before returning to his work. He continued his frivolous frolicking, crouching down towards the circle, then standing up and spinning in circles. Vitti repeated this a few times when finally he clasped his hands in front of him and focused on the farm. The boy bent down on one knee and placed a hand on the ground. Sir shifted his focus from the troublemaker's dance to the rows of vegetables. The dry, apricot-colored dirt darkened under the unforgiving sun. A low, audible gurgling noise arose from the soil as water swelled onto its surface. The water level in the farm continued rising when Sir derided, Vitti, you're going to drown my crops! Vitti paid no mind to the boy farmer and remained focused on the ground. Balu pushed himself away from the fence in his comfortable disposition and faced the foot-deep irrigation system that Sir had dug out. The irrigation well ran from the nearby river, through the jungle, around Tutoma's walls, and to the edge of the farm where it was distributed evenly through shallow trenches. Balu held his arms out towards the starved ditch, and the surrounding earth widened instantly, creating an empty creek bed that ran alongside the farm. Vidi continued summoning the water, which rose up and then poured into the newly formed creek. The nearby planks of wood from the village's wall slid down the creek bed and crashed into the billowing current. Labu and Sir bolted to their feet and started whooping. Balu's chasm snaked its way past the farm, slicing through the village's dirt road. The creek burrowed through the other side of the village's defenses, looped around the hole of Tutoma, and then continued another two or three miles to meet the Kamba River downstream. When the creek's mouth had met with the river, Vidi stood, turned, and studied the group of boys. Well, this should do it, Vidi said, smiling. Water swept through the man-made creek, causing Sir to get lost in the hypnotic current. He had always been fascinated with his friend's display of elemental mastery, and often wished that he could find his personal element, what the other villagers called magic. Sir figured that his magic would reveal itself when it, or rather he, was ready. Everyone else had discovered his or her magic affinity by the time they were Sir's age, but the Tomasi was unfazed with his late blooming. He tried to live content with the accomplishments achieved by his own hands, but Sir had nevertheless tried to discover his magic so that he could know his place in the world. He had tried to move the earth using only his mind and his words. He had tried to summon rain for his crops. He had even tried to create fire itself. Sir had once asked his uncle Ward about magic. When the boy was about the age where he had seen four harvests, he watched in amazement as Labu's father set ablaze a pile of kindling, using nothing more than the older man's words. Sir took those words and tried to repeat them in the privacy of his own home, but the phrases produced nothing more than a frustrated kid. Sir continued his quest to discover his magic affinity well into his teens. His uncle, who rarely showed any interest in the boy, had once asked him about his progress. Sir confided and wore the truth. The young seraphim had no magic. 
and it occasionally ate away at that accomplishment with his hands' contentment. He had never been able to determine his magic, much less use it. Ward had followed up with yet another question. Which of the four elements of fire, wind, water, or earth did the boy feel the most connection? Sir remembered saying that he felt an equal connection to all four elements. He didn't feel held by any of them, unlike the other boys who had already begun mastering rudimentary spells. The Tomasi resigned himself to working with his hands in the farm to create life and to sustain life in the village. It was what it was. Sir's uncle let out a pejorative grunt before lighting a tobacco pipe. The two of them had not spoken of Sir's use of magic since then. Baloo crossed his arms. This creek should serve you pretty well, he said. It creates a complete circle with the river, so it shouldn't dry up any time soon. Sir thanked them both and added, You could have done without destroying the road and wall. Vidi and Baloo just shrugged. The smug look on the boys' faces showed that they were satisfied with their day's contribution. Sir, Levy said, holding up a small ball of flame in an open palm, I don't think I'll be able to provide much help. The group of boys shared a laugh as the sound of furious feet tapping approached them. A boy much younger than Sir ran up to the group from behind. The kid looked visibly shaken by the turn of events. He held a long pole made from bamboo and strung up with a metallic claw that dangled on the rod's end. Sir instantly recognized a short stature of Roland Shahal, one of the village's children. His family had come from a long line of fishermen. His father and uncle were fishermen, their father had been a fisherman, his father had been a fisherman, and so on. But some years ago, Roland's father had been involved in a terrible tragedy on the banks of the Kama River. A sinker fish, one of the most feared and deadliest in the river, hooked itself on the man's line. The fish quickly swallowed the line, sending Roland's father flying into the river. The elders say he tried to swim to shore but was caught by the sinker fish before reaching the riverbank. They say Roland's mother had carried a great heartache for several months before succumbing to the eternal darkness herself. Roland was only two years old at the time, but he continued on as toddlers are wont to do. He now lived with his uncle, Tutoma's master fisherman, and his wife, who only naturally became Tutoma's master fish fryer. Sir felt a special relationship with the boy. Both of their parents had died when they were young, and both of the boys had been sent to live with their closest kin. Sir only wished that he could have known his parents before having to live with an uncle who believed discipline came in two flavors, a left hook and a right one. What are you guys up to now? Roland asked. The boy's hazel eyes surveyed the damage through a mop of dirty blonde hair. Roland, they were helping with the field work, Sir replied. The other three boys continued their fits of laughter. Sir pointed to Roland's pole. What you got there? Having almost forgotten about the pole in his hands, Roland looked at it for a brief moment before handing, to, handing it to Sir. It's something I made. I think it will make your life easier working in the farm. Roland went on to explain the invention. A roll of string and a trigger mechanism were attached to one end of the wooden pole. That string was then threaded through small holes attached to the bamboo shaft. A thick metallic claw was attached at the string's end. So, drop the claw over the crop, pull the trigger to clamp it, and then use the wheel to pull the crop out of the ground, Roland explained. By this point in the instructions, the trio of troublemakers had taken an interest in Roland's device. 
let's give it a shot, Sir said enthusiastically. The others watched as Sir walked over the farm's edge with Roland's invention in tow. He stopped at a row of carrots and held the machine on the opposite end of the, to the claw, just as Roland had instructed him. Balu, Viti, and Lavu heckled the duo as Sir hovered the clasping mechanism over a nearby carrot. He let the claw fall to the ground with a muffled thwomp as its metal hinges dug into the dirt surrounding the vegetable. Sir pulled the trigger as Roland directed, and the claw clapped onto the carrot like an iron jaw. The boy farmer pulled back the pole as Roland and the others fell silent. The bamboo shaft bowed more and more as Sir summoned what remained of his strength. The Tomasi's heels dug into the soft dirt as Roland's invention bowed in ever-tightening arcs. Suddenly, the pole jolted in Sir's hands. The taut string snapped and sent the boy to his hindquarters with a loud thud. Balu, Viti, and Lavu howled with laughter as they watched the bamboo pole snap in two. Sir joined in their ruckus as he sat on the ground. He looked back towards Roland and stifled his laughter. The young boy's eyes were as big as saucers and filled with tears. Sir got to his feet and patted down his shorts, now caked with mud from Vitti's earlier display of water wizardry. Sir walked over to Roland and leaned into the boy as they met face to face. That was an amazing invention, Sir remarked with a warm smile. I must have put too much strength into it. Can you make another one? Roland looked at Sir incredulously and fought back hold his tears. I, I think so, he stammered. Roland's face was a rose-colored agitation as he fought to keep strong in front of the older boys. Sir respected Roland. The boy carried an unyielding desire to always do the right thing. If any of his friends would lead Tuatoma into the next phase of growth and prosperity, it would be Roland. The young Tomasi patted Roland's head and pointed towards the others. Don't worry about them, Sir said. You've helped me more today than they ever have. Roland continued to choke back his tears as he listened to Sir's soothing words. The boy farmer grabbed his nearby farming tools and threw them over his shoulder while Roland picked up the pieces of his broken invention. Sir and Roland hopped over the fence and walked along the dirt road towards the village. They crossed over the creek, now permanently carved into the ground, and continued their short journey into town and towards their homes. The trio of troublemakers, Viti, Lavu, and Balu, followed close behind, still reveling in the afternoon's events. Hey there, thanks for listening to the Cosmic Adverse Podcast, Book 1, Fireside Flush. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I know last week I said that the episodes were going to come once every other week until we got into a groove. This episode actually went a little bit faster than I had expected. It's a little bit shorter than the argument in the prologue. You can probably expect the subsequent chapters to be a little bit longer than this one. Um, each one's usually between 10 and 15 pages, so you can expect anywhere between maybe 15 to 20 minutes every week. If you like what you heard, feel free to go to uh, go to iTunes, leave me some feedback, let me know what you think, what you liked, what you didn't like. You can also find me on our website at CosmicAdverse.com. I'm also on Twitter at CosmicAdverse. Try to get the next week's episode up and running. Hopefully it will only be a week in between Chapter 1 and Chapter 2. However, you never know as we uh, start to as we start to really get into this. It might take every other week. Uh, other than that, thanks again for listening. Uh, definitely subscribe, and uh, see you next time.